Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This is the second of two shows about unwanted attention at work. This time, we look at what sexual harassment really stems from, what we can do to stop it, and why it's so prevalent in one particular arena. Power in academia is pretty absolute in some ways. So if you have a male superstar science professor, he can completely make or break a career. Last time we talked about the things that can lead up to sexual harassment or just make women feel completely disrespected at work. Terms of endearment, nicknames, touching, comments about our looks. In this show, I wanted to get into sexual harassment at its worst. Predatory behaviour that can totally poison your experience at work, not to mention your whole life. Jennifer Birdall is a professor of organizational behavior at the University of British Columbia. She specializes in sexual harassment and power and status in the workplace. We spoke on Skype. She says the problem is most people don't get what sexual harassment really is. They don't take it seriously enough. They think it's about flirtation, sexual desire gone astray. But what research really shows is that sexual harassment, like racial harassment, is a method of demeaning people based on their sex and gender, making them feel unwelcome and uncomfortable at work. She says it's about asserting dominance over one person or a whole group of people specifically because of their social identity. It's less about sex, more about control. And I think to the extent that we still have kind of this misinformation going around about what sexual harassment is and how serious it is and what its true underlying motives and or effects are, we will continue to sort of turn a blind eye to it or not truly understand it in the way that it needs to be understood. So having said that, then, say it's understood in those terms, it's, being, it's much more about power. How do we then go about the next step, which is trying to stop it or at least curb it? Well, I think understanding, you know, the different manifestations it takes. So it's really about sex-based power or gender-based power. Uh, So some of the harassment that I've studied includes harassment um, by men against other men, teasing them about their masculinity and their status as men. So sort of understanding the broad range of behaviors that it takes and recognizing it, that it's not just about a boss asking a subordinate uh, for sexual favors in exchange for job status. That's the first step. She says the second one is understanding the psychology behind this. We all grow up in a world where men are at the top of the social hierarchy. That's pretty much baked into our psyches. And she says it's that gender inequality itself that prompts this kind of behaviour. For men to define and defend their status based on their manhood or their masculinity, 
for women, it also empowers women as well as men to uh, derogate men based on those characteristics as well. You know, calling men homos or, you know, wimps or whatever uh, you might do to try to bring a guy down. She says companies, though, they're still talking about harassment in the old way. Sexual harassment training programs need to not just go through, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, (laughs) you know, uh, a list-wise set of behaviors of do's and don'ts without really explaining where this is coming from and the different ways it might be represented. I mean, you mentioned these trainings, and I feel... I feel like people kind of roll their eyes when they feel that they have to have one of these HR trainings. They see it as political correctness. Yep, they do. And I think sometimes it is just kind of like checking the box and making sure that the organization has, you know, looked like it tried to do something and it's not as liable anymore. Something bad goes goes wrong. So, I mean, there is kind of that cynical side of training. And research actually shows that that kind of training often exacerbates the problem. So people roll their eyes and they feel like, oh, I guess I can't tell sexual jokes. And then they go and sort of push that boundary a little bit, almost as a form of protest, right? To, I can still do this. An amazing number of men still push the boundaries of polite office behaviour, and they can still do this. I want to tell you a story about one of my listeners. I was really hoping to get her on the show. At first she agreed, then she backed off because she's afraid of losing her job. She wrote to me in January and she told me about this incident at the company Christmas party. She's in her late 20s and she works in London for what we'll just call a creative company. And there's an older man. She says he's the last of the original partners in the firm. And he's what Kathy Elster from the last show would call a dirty grandpa. So she's at the Christmas party and she's wearing a dress with a small slit in the back. He's standing next to her and he puts his hand through that gap and he starts stroking her back with his thumb while he keeps talking to his colleagues nearby. Then when it's time for dinner, he smacks her bottom and says, come on, you tart. She told me he's also called her a cow, a slut and a slapper. For non-British or Australian listeners, slapper is another slang word for prostitute. This stuff makes honey or sweetie look quite charming by comparison. She says she froze when he started touching her. She just stood there with a grin on her face. She just didn't know what to do. And she says that's the problem. Her generation has no idea how to deal with casual sexism at work. They don't have a template for it. She's in a support role at the company. And she says all her other assistant friends have had similar things happen, but they all minimise it by telling themselves, oh, they're old men, they're dinosaurs, they don't know any better. She told me, we all know it's wrong, but we want to keep our jobs. I told Jennifer all this. Yeah, that's really bad. I mean, that is the main reason why people don't speak up about this. And The overwhelming uh, percentage of people do not speak up about their experiences of sexual harassment. A survey in Canada in 2014 showed that 80% of people who experienced sexual harassment in the workplace never told anybody because of fear of retaliation. And so that, again, shows you just how lopsided our reasoning is around this behavior, how likely it is, well, A, that the perpetrators 
usually have power right over the victims um, and that's why they're in a position to retaliate or they're connected to people who have power and are in a position to retaliate and the victim is often portrayed as the problem once the victim comes forward and says hey this happened to me. As for what to do about it we talked about this in the last show and even though Jennifer spends her working life steeped in this stuff she doesn't have a magic bullet either. She says if you react with anger, then in all likelihood you'll hurt yourself and your career. But she does say you should report it, and you can do yourself a favour by writing it all down. So documenting it is really, really important, you know, even just for your own sanity. Keeping careful notes and records of what happens and reporting it as soon as you can, especially directly to the harasser and documenting that you have expressed your desire for that to stop. You can do it in a polite way, you know, starting there, but making sure that it's been communicated, that you don't welcome this behavior, you find it inappropriate. Then it's a question of going to the next person up from the person doing the harassing. So if it's your supervisor, try going to his supervisor. You have to keep going up until you feel safe and the organization has to understand that that is the proper practice that they don't delegate their complaint back down. They take responsibility at the level that it is brought. Because that's a huge problem, too. These people are connected to each other and cover for each other. Of course, not all companies even have HR departments, and not all HR people are effective. This young woman, I asked her when she said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to come on the air after all. I said, have you said anything? And she said, I've spoken to my line manager about it. And she agreed there was no point going to HR because the HR director is a notorious gossip. And in the past, women have complained about sexual harassment at the office. And then it gets all around the office. So... You know, and she said the problem is it's it's the men are in all the positions of economic power. Yeah, I mean, at the very basic level, it's about respect. So some companies and organizations have tried to frame it as, is this respectful treatment of somebody? Is this something that, you know, puts them in a positive light and makes them feel empowered and included in the workplace? Probably sticking your hand in the back of someone's dress and giving her a massage and calling her cow is not going to make her feel like that. So turning it into a much broader issue of professional conduct can also help. But, you know, it's true. If it's somebody who's in a position of power and economic power, they run HR, they can hire and fire those people too. So these equity offices are usually toothless if the people in power are the harassers or back them. A complete lack of desire to act when the perpetrator is the boss seems to be pretty common in these situations. Thank you to all those of you who contributed to a Facebook discussion about this topic or told your story in the comments section on the website. We will be back in a minute. This episode of The Broad Experience is supported by Right Speak Code. Right Speak Code is all about empowering women in a male-dominated industry technology. It's about getting women to become speakers, thought leaders, and open source contributors. The Right Speak Code conference is taking place in June in Chicago. You can sign up for all upcoming news about the conference at rightspeakcode.com. And if your company would like to sponsor the event, the organizers would love to hear from you. Again, all the information is at rightspeakcode.com. 
Next, I brought up with Jennifer the topic of younger men and their attitudes to women, which you heard me mention at the end of the last show. I used to assume that millennial men were absolutely enlightened, sorted, no problems there. And then I started reading articles about all these incidents in tech startups, which were largely run by millennial men. And I thought, hmm, I don't think my theory was entirely correct. Well, that's where our understanding of this phenomenon really needs to kick in. It's not about generational awareness and general attitudes. It's about What's in it for me? What's my status in the workplace? What's my identity? How do I define myself? Who do I consider to be my competition? And so millennial men are probably just as much as their forefathers <laughs> defining a huge part of themselves and their pride and their own personal identity on being better than women. You know, we socialize boys to do that. And so if women come in and they can do the job just as well as a man, you know, A, that that presents a lot of competition, it doubles the playing field, and B, it threatens the social identity of those men in that job to the extent that this is a bro culture and they want to keep it that way. Talking of culture, I have to say academia seems to be a prime place for for sexual harassment to flourish, and often in the sciences in particular. What What's going on there? Well, I think there's a lot of things going on. There's a history of professors having relationships with their students. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, I guess, maybe that was considered somewhat normal even um, or seen as consensual, even though there was a huge power difference between professor and advisee. So there's that history to it, but then there's also, you know, the vast power difference, the male-dominated context of science the kind of lab space, personal opportunities for this kind of harassing treatment. But, you know, power in academia is pretty absolute in some ways. So if you have a male superstar science professor, he can completely make or break a career, you know, in a way that I think it's even hard in the corporate world. You could just completely prevent this person from making it in science um, and at the same time, you can't be fired from, <laughs> you know, so you you can fire most people in most companies, but tenured professors are often hard to get rid of. And so there's this sense of complete impunity. In two recent cases I've read about in the sciences, one at the University of Chicago, one at Yale, the male professors ended up stepping down. This was after investigations had been launched and after the media started taking an interest. But at Yale in particular, the whole thing was incredibly drawn out. Do you think academia is any worse at handling these cases than other work environments? They certainly seem to have got themselves in a number of stews about how they handle this stuff. I mean, there are definitely work environments that are really bad outside of academia and some that are much better But yeah, I think that there is sort of this, well, of course, we're progressive and enlightened attitude, or this couldn't be happening here, or, um, or people can take care of themselves. There's a little bit of that attitude. And then I think the nature of, especially the increasing stardom that goes on in academia, it's kind of a star system now. So you might have men who are you know, running labs, cranking out huge grants and publications and 
they bring a lot of status and recognition to the school, so there's very little desire to do anything if these men are misbehaving because of the prestige they bring to the department. And because of all of that power they have, there's very few people speaking out when these men are behaving badly. That jibes with a piece I read recently in the magazine Nature. It was an op-ed by a female scientist who'd been harassed by a professor 30 years her senior. He was supervising her postdoctoral work. The university he worked for had ultimately found him to be at fault, but it didn't fire him, and it asked her to keep the whole thing hush-hush. <laughs> yeah, they're protecting their own. You know, cases that I've seen have involved, we talked to him. He's not going to do that anymore. You know, there's just kind of no follow-through or consequence at all. And in the meantime, women's careers have been ruined. She says that's an ongoing problem with postdoctoral students like the one I just mentioned, who come from abroad. They come to do a postdoc with this amazing star and are even more at the mercy, right? Because they're out of their home country. They don't have family or friends. They don't understand the legal system. So there's this one egregious case in my own field involving postdocs that were actually required by the male professor to, you know, wear laundry and have sex with him in hotel rooms or else he was going to ruin their careers and cut off their funding and all this kind of stuff. So, and I've heard from, you know, equity offices on the campuses I've been involved with of similar cases of graduate students and postdocs just being very vulnerable, especially from other countries. Charming, lovely stuff. <laughs> yeah, so depressing. So it is. I think just breaking, I mean, there's this, also this, don't ever out anybody, Norm. Like, don't ever say who it is. And, you know, I think people are starting to just get over that. Because once once one victim stand, you know, says something, usually there's that iceberg below, you know. There's, like, all those other people who have experienced the same thing who come forward. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. There is one encouraging thing, though, this whole he-for-she movement. Jennifer says more and more men in her classes are bothered by things only women used to talk about. I have noticed in my, I guess, 17 years now of teaching business students, a real uh, sea change. I guess this is kind of a hopeful thing about the next generation in some of the men because they are married to or partnered with women who have high power careers more and more now. We have, I think, a plurality of households now with female breadwinners. So the economic 
shift that's going on in educational degrees and professional careers means that men are dependent on and intimate with women with very high-powered careers, and they are now personally seeing the repercussions of, of this kind of behavior in the workplace. So they're bringing it into my classroom, and the men are just as concerned as the women at this point. And she says what's really instructive is when both halves of the couple work at the same place. For example, my husband and I both started out at the University of Toronto as assistant professors. And, you know, we witnessed each other's 11-year careers there before moving to University of British Columbia. And just how completely different the, the treatment and experience and time of promotion and all that kind of stuff was. And so when you have that direct comparison in the same company or the same organization, it um, really opens your eyes. I take it he was moving ahead faster than you were? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, way faster. Jennifer Birdall. One other thing we talked about that didn't make it into the show is this documentary we both got a lot out of. It's called The Mask You Live In, and it's about the pressure boys are still under to define themselves as hyper-masculine and sort of in opposition to women. It's a good film, and it makes you realise just how much all that has to do with what women face. Everything from domestic violence to discrimination at work. I just checked today and it looks like it's not streamable yet, but I'll post a link so you can find out more about it on the Broad Experience site. I'll also link you to a few articles that are related to today's show. As usual, if you have thoughts on this episode, let me know either in the comments section on the site or on the show's Facebook page. And if you'd like to support this one woman show, head to the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. If you can afford to donate 50 bucks to the podcast, you'll receive the official Broad Experience t-shirt, Ladies Cut. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening.